Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Rebel Guru Radio with best-selling spiritual author Eric Pepin. Season 2, Higher Balance Classics, Timeless Teachings. Rebel Guru Radio is sponsored by Cramp Medic, the most powerful cramp fighting supplement on the market. I think it's an excellent product. I can honestly say for myself, and this is of course uh, difficult to say because it's coming from me, but I hope you take my word on it. I don't think there's anything out there better than Cramp Medic for leg cramps. I used to get them on a near daily basis, maybe every couple days. I know that uh, when I had my motorcycle or bicycle, uh, my legs would be the worst. I would wake up in the middle of the night in pain. Uh, there have been times where I've thought about maybe I should go to an emergency room. Since I've used Cramp Medic, I probably use one serving and I will not have to reach into using this again probably for two, two and a half weeks. That is more than double what I felt was the recommended like once for every seven days. That's how effective is. I do think that people need to use it for two to three times to build up somehow in your in your system. We have mainly all positive reviews. Apple cider vinegar is what is going to reduce, you know, acid buildup in your muscle tissue very rapidly. Cayenne pepper is going to expand your capillaries to move that blood into those tight cramping muscles that just do not want to let blood in there to soften it. It is very, very effective. It is going to get in there. Electrolytes very fast. It's going to do the job. It's just a great product. And that's what I have to say about it, crampmedic.com. The other thing I wanted to say is the Higher Balance Institute store, HBI, or higherbalance.com. We've worked very hard at reducing and slashing the pricing, trying to keep it as a mainstay price forum. Uh, People have said over the years it's too expensive for them and they can't afford it. Uh, I don't know what the next excuse is going to be because it is extremely affordable. Um, We're doing our best to do that. Having Cramp Medic, finding other stuff to maneuver around so we can keep this thing going uh, has allowed us to bring those prices down. Uh, We do have a lot, a lot of material, a lot of classes that are really excellent, I feel. you know, going probably for several dollars, some of those classes, uh, probably at least 70, 80% off of what we charge, maybe even more. Uh, one thing we may do is maybe change around in the store, like uh, uh, bi-monthly or something, which modules we're offering, because there's so many, I think people get lost in it. So if there is something you want, I strongly suggest you grab it before we start moving it around, but it will come available again. It just may take six months to a year before the, all those other ones start arriving. Uh, back for availability and we're going to start taking down some probably to try to keep some organization to just the the bulk of uh, information there which I'm very proud of Um, so that's what I have to say on that please check out Higher Balance Institute uh, you know or higherbalance.com and uh, support Higher Balance please get uh, and try out uh, cramp medic for family, friends, anybody who has leg muscle problems or any kind of muscle problems in particular. It it truly is the best product out there. No foams, no creams. You don't have to run to the bathroom if you're working at the office to put on foams on your leg by pulling on your pants and trying to get to your legs. Uh, no need for tablets. One shot, seven days, phenomenal. If you are interested in acquiring Eric Pepin's books, visit higherbalancebooks.com.
Higher Balance presents The Optimist, Part 1 of 1. Um, well, this question really is about kind of extending... It's not um, it's um. Next question. It, it's an extension of thought reflection in a way. Um, Considering I don't remember thought reflection, but anyway. Okay. Uh, how much difference does being optimistic make on the outcome of one's life? Huge difference. Absolutely, I've said this before. And there's been plenty of study on, on people who have a positive outlook on life, uh, tend to have marriages uh, that last, or we can say relationships. They tend to be wealthier, they tend to be healthier, they tend to be better off. But there was a huge study I read uh, from people that were back in high school, they did the studies right up into the 50s and 60s. And uh, people who, who uh, tended to be more frowning or, or more uh, pessimistic in life, they found they had a higher divorce rate, they, they had more problems with their family, they had more problems in, in general in life, uh, less success, less job opportunities, more, more struggle. Um, I think that you, know, you have to keep in mind that your outlook on life is, is a projection of your consciousness. And you have to keep in mind that the, the people who, who you deal with on a daily level, call them white cells or red cells, are receptive to your presence. And they're going to re reciprocate to you in a certain manner. So let's say that there are certain people you deal with in a certain way that, that have no means to you, such as people that you meet in the grocery store or in line at the checkout or the checkout counter. But what about people that you meet that you may have business dealings with, who, who may decide whether you get a promotion or not, or who may affect the ear of the employer to you, or who's going to decide whether you get a good price opening a business buying product to supply your business, or if you're going to get a, a shoddy or a higher end price. Uh, they're going to react to you based on a projection that they feel. I think, I think that there are subtly, subtleness in human nature that come from primitive man that detect these things, whether they be vocally or physically. I mean, you got to keep in mind that there's also these studies where people can do micro um, um, scanning on people's facial features where they can tell you're lying or not lying. Well, I think on a broader context, people can definitely feel you based on your, your, your facial content, let alone what your emotions are sending out or what I call emo. Um, so people are constantly receptive to it, it's, and it's particularly people who, who aren't even aware that they're paying attention will find that they just don't like somebody or they shun somebody or they just kind of get a hair up their, their ass per se and just, just don't want to deal with you or they give you a, a very quick, short kind of dealing. Um, absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, how you perceive life or how you project yourself whether it be an optimistic or a pessimistic view, will have an effect on you. I, I absolutely believe that. Um, I would say look at it as a psychic wave that's emanating out from you from several feet. The, the real question is, is whether or not you, know, you realize, well, I'm not a very optimistic person. I'm more of a pessimist, but I want to be an optimist. To me, that's the real question. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's many times human nature to be uh, 
an, a pessimist more so than an optimist, because we're all struggling in a modern world that, that man necessarily wasn't designed fully for. I think we're evolving technologically faster than we are biologically to the, to the environment. So this creates a lot of stress, stresses that, that pessimistic uh, uh, perspective per se. So I think it's, it's more rare to come across somebody who's more optimistic and outgoing and happy and positive, and that could be biochemically they're just set that way. You could say it's a flaw in a sense, and they're just overly happy. You know what I'm saying? But somehow it's that projection of happiness that works out for them. I mean, you can be the meter yourself. Ask yourself how do you feel towards two people, one who tends to be very positive around you and happy, versus somebody who seems to be more pessimistic and gloomy. You naturally are already know what, what, what that answer is. You're, you're going to lean towards the optimist. So you, you can ask yourself in life, the, the general outcome of, of all other stuff is going to be the same way. People are going to feel the same way you do. That's a, it's, a, it's a general genetic, biological trait of all human beings. Does that answer your question? Is that satisfactory to everybody? Covered a lot of bases here. So the, the, the question that I had asked was, what do you do? Well, the answer comes back to meditation. It comes back to mindfulness. Everybody often forgets what mindfulness is. I mean, hence, mindful. It, to be mindful of your consciousness. Your consciousness is what the portrayer or the projector of your emotion is. So if, it's, so if you are mindful, you're aware if you're being an optimist or if you're being a pessimist. And the only reason that you don't know that you're one or the other is because you're not being mindful. If you are mindful, immediately you have some gainful control over what you're projecting. Although it's, it's very exhausting. It's tiring to be mindful. But as I, I said the other day to some other people that I was working with, is that I truly believe that if you can persist for a certain amount of time to, to train yourself to have a certain perspective or a changed habit, okay, that it can be done. But you almost have to have something that, to remind yourself to read back, like a journal or something, because you'll forget. And it, you, you, you are, we are all pebbles at the base of a wave. We, we are all stones at the base of a wave. We're all being shaped constantly by the environment we exist in. And as much as we try to be good, as much as we try to, to soften our edges, as much as we try to, to be certain things, inevitably the force of nature is constantly working on us. So we can call it the dough spiritually, but also biologically there, there is a, a massive effect constantly wearing on us, and agitation is agitation, and we're going to react. The, the, the idea is how mindful can you be against that turbulence? How long can you endure and is there a point that there's a break point? Well, I think there's break points and there's, it's like storms. Storms come and go. There's, there's calm periods, there's stormy times. It's are you preparing yourself to weather the storm and are you willing to set your mind to get you through that storm? I mean, I think people who survive through crisis isn't, isn't usually the person who's most physically fit. It's the person who's most mentally willful and, and has a survivor instinct inside of them, a desire to, to survive through something, that's the one who's going to make it. So, the, the point is, is that I think that most people tire when they try to change the quality 
of, of their nature. I think it's, 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 it's white cell nature, and probably red cell in some ways, in most ways, in many ways, to say, I want to be a better person. I, I need to be a better person. I want God to help me to become a better person, a more loving person, a more compassionate person, a more under, understanding, whatever, whatnot. I think we all secretly desire that in our heart. I think that's our nature. And the reason why we ask that thing in our nature is because it's also acknowledging the fact that we, we are indirectly acknowledging that we don't think we're as good as we could be. And that's the point that you have to remember. The fact that you're, you're acknowledging the other means that, that you're also self-acknowledging the other one silently. And that is, is again, that negative aura or that negative field of energy you're, you're emoting out that you're not consciously paying attention to, you're not mindful to. So, in order to change bad habits, I, I think that people set themselves... And they start out trying to change that habit one day, maybe two days, maybe three days, and then they forget. They, it's like the dough. They, they fall off in their, their, their thing. And I often believe that, gee, you were two days away from, from reprogramming yourself to, to, to making it into a new habit. And I, I think that if you can just do it long enough, like for five days or seven days, if you can just keep yourself in that mode, you'll, you'll correct yourself. It's like constantly cussing. You're constantly cussing, you try not to cuss, and then you, you go a day or two and you're, you're on top of it, and then you start to forget about it, and then you forget totally about trying not to cuss. So you've fallen right back into the habit of it. But if you could have just lasted three, four, five days, you, you would have broke yourself of the habit. You would have broke yourself of the mental routine of unconsciously spitting out your machinery-like habit. Do you follow me? So I think that most people just don't cut the endurance to change their perspective that would have made them into a more ideal person or more of the person they want to be. And by knowing that little piece of knowledge, one would think that it gives you a little bit more discipline to set yourself out with a goal. And having that goal is, is that Eric would say, set your goal for seven days. Don't, don't say, I'm just going to change it. Set, it. set a goal and a marker specifically to work towards. And if you, can, if, you can, if you can get yourself to that point, I believe that your chances of, of change are much higher. But now you've got to take in some other factors. You have to ask yourself, I've changed, I've stopped cussing. Okay? But the environment I'm in, everybody's cussing. So... It's, it's a matter of, will you start cussing again? And the answer is, is yes, you will. It's, it's no different. It's, it's like biological nature. It's like if you go move to the South and you're a northerner and you have a northern accent and you live in the South for a year even and you visit your friends, immediately your friends will say, well, you pick up an accent now? You, you, you're sounding a little bit different. And you don't sound like a southerner to the southerners. You don't sound any more northerner to the northerners. You're already adapting to whatever that environment you, you're in unconsciously. You're, you're constantly picking up stuff. So to be mindful is to be, be aware of, of, of that or try to be aware of that. I always say it's a very simple thing. It always comes down to the rubber band on your hand. You know, I don't care. Maybe you should just say mindful on it. <laughs> you need to just snap it. And just try to, to, to be conscious of, of, of the now. I mean, all the things that I've taught say these things over and over and over again. But it, it's, the question is, is what can you do to, to bring yourself back to the moment, to recenter yourself? That's mindfulness.
And it's, it's self-awareness. It's, it's self-consciousness. And I think the biggest point is, is don't be brutal on yourself. You, you know it's, it's very difficult. Acknowledge your, your small steps, because to see monumental steps almost never happens, so you'll be waiting forever. If you acknowledge your little successes, you'll find that you've made a huge success in the end. You'll, you'll be able to see it better. Does that work for everybody? Yeah, does that, does that make it, sense? Can I take it into a direction? Sure. I'm trying to figure out what I do with that coffee. Can you hand that to me, please? Okay. Being mindful, is it possible, or is it likely, or is it worth working on to be aware of what seduces you into automation while you're mindful? Like, what triggers it? You know, it's, it is useful, but I would probably, you know, there, there's nothing not useful. I mean, anything you can do. The problem is, is, is that you guys always have to get to the core of it. That's not the core. The core of the problem is, is forgetting. Do you understand? I don't think you, you're going to have a problem finding the flaw. Okay? I don't think you're going to have a, a problem pinpointing the source of it. Okay? The problem is, is that you can't maintain your consciousness on it long enough to resolve it. Do you, do you understand? It's, it's the forgetting part that's the problem. I think one can find the source all day long. I don't mean find the sources and find, find your mindfulness. I mean while you're mindful, try to strive to be aware of the one thing that... Because when you go unconscious, you don't catch yourself going unconscious. So all of a sudden, it's been ten minutes and you... you you catch that. Right, mind. right, right. So being mindful or, or work on um, studying what seduces you back into it, if it's even possible. Well, I, I think that's fine, but that goes right back to what I just said in, the, in, the, in my whole thing, is, is that you, you have to work for seven days just to get it out of your system. I mean, isn't that the same answer? Is it, isn't that the, the same answer to your question? Yeah, people and myself. I mean, I, I work on mindfulness, mm -hmm. and I'll work on it for days straight. And it, it I mean, it, it starts to become more momentous. Obviously, seven days, you know, it takes a lot longer than that to really go into the long stints of it. But while you're mindful, you still fall asleep all the time. Well, but, but this is this is the the ongoing strife. What did I say earlier? A journal. Yeah. Have have something to reflect back on and, and read what it says. The problem with change is that it's a lot like dreaming. In the dream, you can get a lot of information, and when you first wake up, you have it all, or a lot of it. But as the moments flicker by, it's as if, as if it's like hairs being slowly pulled from your mind and evaporating. It's as if you, you lose the detail of the information that you understood. Do you understand? It, it evaporates. And so is the same problem with, with consciousness and, and trying to evolve or change and remaining conscious of that change. Do you see what I'm saying? So one, I often say to somebody who, who dreams, write your dreams down, write down the details. Even as you're writing, it's as if the memory is fleeting away. It's as if you can't even write fast enough. It's as if you start substituting imagination because you're trying to piece together what it is that you just understood a moment ago and you feel that you should understand, so, you, so you're trying to figure out something you, you've already forgotten, which means it's already polluted and not true data. Does that ever does that make sense for everybody? 
So, so what I'm saying is, is that to kind of do the opposite in a sense, that when you choose to work on something, make a journal of it. Make a journal of the daily successes of it. And date it. And then in a, in a month or a year, go back and read your journal and see if, if somehow you fell asleep on those things or that they've re, regrouped. And it's, it's all about learning your own program, but sometimes in this dimension, it's better to see the layers of data that you can create for yourself to help you, everything that you can help yourself with. Does that work? Yeah, Does that, that works. Definitely. Okay. okay. Uh, can you talk about compromise? And what I mean by that is getting back to optimism and pessimism. Uh, trading natural and negative thought for positive thought, you know, using your mindfulness or willpower, compromise. Well, a compromise is, is, is exactly what it, what, what it is. It, it, it's, you might have a set level of, of standards or pers perspective, and usually it's perspective, how you view something as it should be or you want it to be. And it is, it is a matter of the opposite person or opposition or, or person who has a different perspective. Hence, there, there's not really a compromise, or well, there could be a compromise, but in most cases there's not a compromise if both people are on the same path. Okay, you both are in agreement, so you both are working together for an outcome. If another person has a difference of opinion, now you have friction or confrontation or there's going to be a challenge. Usually you have the alpha dog syndrome or whatever you want to call it. Somebody's trying to make their case and, and have their outcome or their win, which creates your optimism and your pessimism and you have different scenarios potentially that can come out of that. I'm not sure exactly what your question is asking me, but... Let me refine it because this, right. this is something that I need you to remember uh, specifically regarding... Um, Changing someone, say, say someone is a pessimist. Yep. And you say, look, Joe, you need to change the way that you think about certain things. You need to compromise in certain situations right. in order to move into a more positive mindset. Right. Uh, I find that extremely effective, and I want you to share it with... You know, a lot of that stuff is, is on the fly, and it's one-on-one, -on -one, and that's tailored and designed specifically for you because I'm not talking to a group of you, I'm talking to you individually although that information is, is useful for everybody. And the, the, the sum it up is basically is to say that a person who finds that they're, they're a pessimist um, and is very negative in general or, or confrontational or, or not forgiving or non-bending, um, I would say to that person that if you want to find more peace in your life or you want to be happier, that you, you have to be more giving. You have to be... A, a compromising person and say, would it be that bad to just give in a little bit even though I think that I'm absolutely right? Is it worth the argument? It, the argument equals a certain amount of fuel or energy from me to, to make or to, to have to project or that I hold within me that, that works on me emotionally. And by having that, camp, that compromise, you're, you're making that person's feel as if they've, they've won maybe a little bit something, or, or maybe in so compromising to them, they're going to be more compromising to you, and you create a better unification between the two to work together to a higher intelligence, because there's more trust being built. There's, there's better levels of, of saying, you don't fully agree with me, but you're willing me to do it because you want to compromise. And so compromising is, is universally... I think something very important because uh, it does allow growth. It does allow 
uh, a tool to to remove um, demand or pressure. It's it's kind of a, a yin yang or just pull back and let that person move this way if they want to come this way. Maybe maybe it serves you still better than you think. Okay, so so in my case, uh, negative thinker, you know. Uh, and uh, you're saying, you know, you're a pessimist, and that you were kind of... One night you gave me and George a great talk about this, and it, it just really stuck. And this particular time you were like, well, what you need to do, Jason, is you need to compromise. Whenever you see something and you think, start to think cynically, whenever you start to think negatively, you have to let that be kind of a signal in your mind to remember to compromise. And what I, what I found myself doing was setting some kind of alarm mentally, and then at that point, I would recognize what I had to do, compromise, and it sucked. It wasn't easy, but the the outcome was was a more positive uh, rewiring of the brain. Right, and I and that had to do with with when you felt somebody was saying something or doing something that you felt very objective to, and I felt that perhaps you might be being. Mm, overly objective or unreasonably objective in most people's eyes and that this was a perspective that, that you had internally learned and that you, you needed to learn the compromise so that you could be more at peace with yourself and realize, you know what, it's not as big of a deal as as it's as I'm allowing it to, to become within me. So, all right, what else? So, so how would somebody who... Who is really uh, really pessimistic? Go about because I, I mean I have people like this. I have participants that are pessimistic, crappy energy, and they don't know what's wrong with them. They don't know why they're in crappy situations. To me, it's obvious. How would you go about recreating the way that they think or helping them on some level? Well, everybody's different, and I think some people need an extreme situation, and some people you're not going to be able to help. You can't heal everybody, so the, the issue isn't whether. They're extreme pessimists. It's it's the difference is, is you becoming exhausted because you so desperately want to help them. And this is something that I struggled for with for many 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 years. And people drained me because I wanted to help them because I, I thought there had to be a solution to their problem and that I should have that solution. And in many cases I do. But there is a a cost of energy. And the real question is, or what it really came down to was, is that you know, I either reserve myself and, and improve myself in this case so that I can help many people, you know, or I exhaust myself on the few and burn myself out and, and, and I will achieve far less. There, there has to be a point where you have to realize I've done what I can for, for these people. Now, having said that, each situation is unique. Each situation, some situations I may be able to listen to and, and give a five-second answer and, and it frees them completely. Other people, it, it is something that is just not within their means in this lifetime as much as they don't want to hear that and as much as I would not want to say that because it's damning just in its, its concept. Um, but you have to take in consideration some people are biochemically depressed. And they do need to deal with it on a biochemical level. Have I, have I not said it's just like a vehicle? You are a soul that is perfect in that vehicle driving it, but if the engine is whacked, it's whacked. You can only tune it up so much, but you may have to do this or that externally to it in order to assist it. Well, you may be trying to help someone that's extremely depressed or extremely pessimistic 
with with better fuel and and better spark plugs and and tune-ups and everything, but the whole time is because they're running on five pounds of air in their tire versus forty pounds. Um, you know, and and that's the real reason. So so you know you you have to be very careful. What I can give you for advice is is that I think most people know what their problem is. If you ask a person. Tell me, clear your mind right now. Just, just clear it, empty it all out. Take a nice deep breath, in through the nose, out through the mouth. And I want you now to answer a question that I'm going to answer you. And I just want you to blurt it out as soon as I ask you. Why? What is making you so resistant? And they'll say it. Nine times out of ten, they'll say it. It's the same reason when someone goes and they marry somebody. And they end up getting divorced, and they're angry. And you ask them one thing, you, 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 and there's one thing I can guarantee you: you knew they were an asshole the first time you met them. What was the first thing you thought when you met them? What was the first thing? Did you think what a nice guy, or did you think this guy's a real asshole? And he says, "I thought he was a real asshole." And you let him win you over, didn't you? And they're like, "Yeah." And that's what suckered me in. They did not follow their first instincts. They did not follow their, their first sensory, per se. Okay? So, what I'm saying is, is that when it comes to people, I'm not saying it's always this simple. Remember what I say. There's no, no one thing for everything. So I hate it when people try to cliche me into, well, how can that be? You know, he can just say this is for everything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there's some general tools that you can utilize, and this is one of them that's a very good tool. You tell a person clear their mind, you ask them the question, and you ask them when their mind is clear, what is the first thing that surfaces? Usually their navigator will spit it right out. They'll know if it's their husband, they'll know if it's them, and, and finances, they'll know if it's the house, they'll know if it's the way the furniture's set up, they'll know if it's it's their mother or their aunt, or it'll just come out. This is this is this is why I'm I, I can't do it. They'll know. And it sounds incredibly simplistic. So sometimes the greatest truths are come from the most simplistic places. One has to be very careful though, because it can also become a polluted source of information. So one can then start to say, well, I should just start thinking all my impulses are correct. Well, once you know about it, you start polluting it because there's an I created to, to adapt to that situation that now you can't no, not really 100% trust unless you can learn to constantly keep your mind clear, which is a higher level of consciousness than what you're working on in general anyway. But if you're going to say as a tool to someone, all right, I want you to clear your mind, they don't even see it coming. You know what I'm saying? Clear your mind, take a deep breath, just relax, blah, 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 blah. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to tell me the first few things that come to your mind, and I don't want you to really stop, start, stop to think about it. Just, just talk to me. What is depressing you? And they're going to say, my mother's death. Your mother died five years ago. I don't know, that's the first thing that came to me. Well, I'm telling you, ten to one, that's the problem. They, they would never think it in a million years, but there is an issue there that, that is not, they have not come to peace with. And it's, and it's in the fiber of their consciousness, in the fiber of their soul. Do you understand? 
So that's what you're after. You're after what, what are the fear, first few things that come to mind and what can you do to help resolve that? And what would I tell you to start to do with them? Come on, I've given you the tool. You've done the class. I would rebuild the memory that's negative and start retraining the brain for positive in order for there to be some kind of release. It's a very rapid way of working with it. It's not necessarily the best, but the point is, is to get them to an adjusted place to continue better work on themselves. And there's several other methods one could do. Understood? Yeah. But everybody knows what their, their problem is. It's, it, the problem is, is the babbler. The problem is, is the human mind is so complex and so busy and so demanding. If you just stop it and ask it, it will surface. So I would like actually like to kind of take that somewhere with with you saying like as far as like whenever people start looking at like let's say their gut reaction right and they start developing an eye mm -hmm. developed on that gut. Keep reaction. in mind we're talking practical tools that you can utilize with people. We're not we're not saying you guys are psychiatrists to go in certain directions. Well, okay? right, right. We're just saying practical tools you can use that are very useful and powerful. Right. All right. But I'm, but I'm saying, like, let's say, like, I mean, just to kind of like that, I mean, I have a participant that gets all these third eye experiences and all these gut feelings and stuff like right. that, and, you know, she really just kind of reacts to them. Right. And and that's that was one of my fears was the fact that, like, she's not really... Okay, but then you've got to deal with it. her completely opposite. Okay. You, you, you've got to lower her down. You've got to have her meditating on her lower chakra. Right. Okay? Right. You've, you've got to have her touching things a lot. You've got to bring her from out here... Where, where, where she probably wants to go or where, whatever. But the truth is she needs to come down okay. and, and re, readjust herself so that she can reapproach calmly. You know, it, it's kind of like, how can I, it's, it's a spinning top. You've got a spinning top and you spin it. And what happens when it starts off wobbling? It falls quickly. What do you do? That's right. And then what do you do? Spin it again. And more than likely the second time, what are you consciously trying to make sure you don't do? Make it go all wobbly. That's right. You understand? Yep. When, when somebody is just, when you're feeling them just all over the place and just crazy and just what, you got to bring them back to square one. What am I going to say? Walk and breathe. Empty your mind. I don't want you to take any data in. I don't want you thinking about things. The second your mind starts going, I want you to put your hand right down here. Breathe in through it. I want you to spend a whole week just, just meditating on the logo. Don't you even think about touching the heart. Don't think about touching the brain. Just focus here, focus here, focus here. I want you to feel touching the carpet. I want you to touch trees. I want you to listen to people. I want you to use your five senses. Even somebody who has higher sensories can be so plugged into it that it, it's, it's, they're topsy-turvy. And you, you've got to re-bring them back down. And you, you're almost going to force them sometimes. You've got to be like, hey, listen to me. And once they come down, they calm down, you can readjust them and then they can re-approach. And they're going, wow, you know, before it was just, uh, now it just makes so much more sense. That's how I would handle it. So as I said before, each situation is unique. Next. Does anybody else have anybody out there that they, they want to deal with? So so pessimists, it's 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 all in, in them particularly. And you know what the truth is? I'll tell you. As much as you can tell them to clear their mind and to spit something out, you already know the answer too. 
You already know this person needs medication. You already know this person is just too too out there. They're, they're too, their cup is so full with New Age stuff. So if the, the cup is so full with New Age stuff, what do you need to do that you don't want to do? You're going to have to offend them. You're going to have to tell them that, that what do I do to you guys when you guys start to, when people come to me with astrology and, and numerology and rocks and crystals and color healing, what do I do? I tear it apart. I'm cruel to be kind. Because if I don't clean that cup out, how do you expect me to, to, to work with it? It's a rotting wound, full of crap, and, and I need to decide how I'm going to do with it. And you guys are too worried about hurting people. You're too worried about offending people. And you, you, you'll be shocked. Some people might be offended and say, see you later. It's all in the delivery. If you're a good surgeon, you can, you can work on somebody without hurting them, without bleeding them. And you can clean the wound out, and you can suture it up, and they don't even know you, you did it. Uh, other people, you can just be what my, my grandparents used to say were butchers. The doctors would knock you out, and they'd rip, and they'd pull, and whatever. It's just like, like breast implants. The butchers, when the women come out, they're crying in pain, and they got black and blues all over their whole chest from the surgery. Okay, When they go to the good surgeon, there's hardly any bruising. Well, I know what the fuck my grandparents are talking. I watched it on TV, and you could see them speeding through it, cutting it, and ripping and bending and shoving it in, and okay, we got it adjusted and stitching it up. And I said, that's a fucking butcher. Because when I watched the other guy who was like a specialist, you seen him working it and getting it a certain way and getting it to go in. He took his time, and he did things right. There is a difference how you do things. A good teacher can disassemble somebody and be stern about it and rebuild them versus a person who's just out being destructive. And you know when somebody's a teacher is being destructive? It has nothing to do with the student. It's a bad teacher. Okay? It's a bad teacher because they're letting their inner emotion of themselves abuse another person because it's, it's self-gratifying for them. Just because a teacher's a teacher does not mean that they don't have their own issues. Even myself. Okay? So... The, the point is, is that you have to be mindful as a teacher, am I ready to do this and how, how much time am I willing to, to be skillful at this? You have to be stern, but you can't be a butcher. Do you understand? And if you're butchering, it's because you don't give a shit. If you give a shit, you'll, you'll do it well and you'll do it right. Okay? When I, I don't tell somebody, you know, oh, astrology is a bunch of bunk and you're, you're stupid for believing it and everything else... I approach it, well, you know, they say there's 12 houses when in reality there's technically 13. That means that everything's back one. It's based on the gravitational pull of the planet. Well, I got news for you. When you're born, the finger's got more gravitational pull on you than the goddamn whatever, you know what I'm saying? So you, I go into it and I use reason. I don't attack them. I simply give them something to chew on and let them come to their own conclusion. Do you follow me? But I also make myself knowledgeable before I, I attack something. Do you think I really want to know any more about astrology? Hell no. But, but I need to know something about it if I intend to help somebody, you know, to get them somewhere. So, if you know somebody's into something and you know it's hokey, 
Okay? You, you should educate yourself a little bit, and you should, you should not allow yourself to get into a battle over it. That's like, like getting in a battle with somebody that's religious. You're on their turf. I mean, they're going to quote, quote, quote at you, you know what I'm saying? To me, that's empty. You need to, you need to be very logical and very, very reasonable and, and strategic in what you're communicating. Your job is to teach them, to inform them, to educate them, but your, your goal is to raise their consciousness higher. Everybody get that? Next. Uh, <clears throat> okay, recently, I think me and you were watching the show, recently there have been observations done on identical twins separated at birth to test how different their lives diverge without contact. Um, and the similarities of the two life events seem uncommonly familiar. Um, you know, they both uh, had husbands that were exactly the same, lived on the same kind of street, same kind of job, mm-hmm. married and divorced almost the exact same time. It's really uncanny. What does this say about how brain configuration designs our lives? Well, I think it's 50-50. I think it's obvious that, that the, the brains are going to create similar attractions. I mean, you could say they both married men that were in uniform. One marries a cop, the other one marries a, a policeman. Uh, I think that that is is something that is probably genetically designed in. I mean, you know what you're interested in, you know what you're not interested in or attracted to, per se. Uh, the fact that they led certain lives, well, their personality, this goes back to people who are optimistic in life and people who are pessimistic. I'm not surprised at all that there's similarities there. Um, what you have to keep in mind is that the brain design also, as I've always taught, has a major factor on the frequency of your consciousness. Data, data, data is what builds to the designing and the development of your soul. We are here to learn. So what you experience is what tunes you in. Okay? If the design of your mechanism is designed with features built in to, to help advance you along the line, then those are things you're going to gravitate to naturally, but you're still going to draw data. It's to say that they both married men in uniforms, but one was a fireman and one was a policeman, and there are very different, big differences in those, but yet they're very similar. Okay, So it's, it's to say that to me that there's, there's a, a line biologically that, that is definitely in the design biologically. And I think that spiritually, that um, their consciousness is, is simply resonating based on, on their experience. It's very similar, very similar tools starting out. I, I think you have to keep in mind one thing, though, okay? When you watch shows like this, this is, again, and, and I mean this in the most politest way, is, is ignorance of the viewer. We are watching a show that A, his job is to entertain us because there are other people running shows that are competing with it for attention, okay? Two, therefore, it has to be entertaining, okay? Three, what is the show trying to show you? It's trying to show the unique qualities of how similar their lives are. So they're saying here's five or six amazing things that are, are the same. But if we spent time with those people, you'd probably also find out they're very uniquely different in many other ways, even more so. So if we just focus on what we want to see, that's all we're going to see. So in this particular show, it is amazing to see the, the, the similarities. 
But to me, that's biological. It's, it's all this. But I also think that their soul is individually unique if we were to look at other aspects of their, their life also. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, but, but it's not really the soul that dictates their life's outcome as much as it is their biology, right? Well, no. They're, they're bi- well, in, in, in the cases of, of, of those situations, you're taking unique situations. There's plenty of twins who, 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 who've been separated that have nothing in common in those ways. In fact, when they meet each other, they didn't really feel anything. But you don't hear about those because it's not exciting and interesting. But I've watched those same documentaries. We're focusing very dangerously on one topic, creating anecdotal answers that aren't actually truth. Well, let me, let me rephrase them. Um, how, much of, how much of your biology dictates the outcome of your life, especially with, with just the arrangement of the brain... As opposed to chance. I would say probably larger than, than, well, I would say chance is a big part of, well, it's hard to give any specific figures, but I would say 65% to 75% is biological. Hence the reason why you meditate. Hence the reason why you try to raise your consciousness. Hence the reason why you try to pop out of the cycle of the machine. You're lowering that percentage. You're taking conscious control of your remote consciousness that is really biochemically responding. I mean, how you react to things is, 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 is A, sociologically to talk to you. So it's imposed on your brain from youth. A lot of the genes that are receptors, or your, your, the way you think, is, is biologically a clone part of, of, of the genetics of your family. So it's, it's, it's not unusual to be similar to your, your parents and how you view things. But you also have the sociological backing of it intertwining in there. Okay, you have whoever your social circles are growing up who add into the twist of that psychological makeup. And for the most part, you have to keep in mind that I think most people are red cells and they're biological functioning creatures based on their biological design, their, their DNA, if you want to call it that, and their sociological programming. And a white cell is one that challenges all that and tries to, to, to disassemble it and allow a higher consciousness to surface and take greater control. Right or wrong? So, how much would you say, like, uh, like biology is linked to, like, let's say, spirituality? Then, or like, the, because, like, let's say, if someone says that they come from a long line of psychics, or they come from a long line of, like, spiritual people, I mean, like, does is their biology somewhat altered? Well, you have to keep to, like, in mind if you raised in a spiritual household, what were you sociologically exposed to consistently in your psychological makeup right. growing up? You were, you were exposed to, to greater belief in these things, which right. creates greater sensitivity. But but even if they weren't necessarily exposed to it, but like, but I'm they not finished. Out, okay. Biologically, I think the traits can run. It's the same thing where you can look at somebody and say, "Boy, you can tell this is really your kid or not." You can. You, I think biologically, there there could be people's brains that are a little bit more designed than other people to be more spiritually inclined. So I think it's a combination. So I think whether they do something with it or not is 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 really the question. Does that answer the, the question? Any questions else on that? Um, okay, well, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Why is it important to strive to be happy? Why, why does hap- what does happiness really have to do with consciousness development? Well, happiness 
is, is a flow of energy. Happiness is, is in part connected to freeness, liberty, flow. Um, it is a sense of expansion. It is a, ask yourself. You can feel the answers within you. Happiness is release. It is love. It is, it is a sense of pleasure, but it's, it's mostly peace. It is calm. And it's about being in balance with oneself. And what is the opposite? The opposite is control. The opposite is suppression. It's like holding something still and not letting it move. It's about non-creativeness. It's, it's about non-flow. In, in your heart, in your soul, when, when you, when it, it is death, it is despair, it is the tree that, that withers and, and crumbles. It is, it is an in sense to us to know that. That when one chooses to be a pessimist, one chooses not to, to experience life in its fullest. It's, it's as if to say that you're, you're choosing to withdraw because it's it's simply you just don't want to pursue anymore. You don't you don't care. You you you. It, it doesn't matter. It it the, the the universe the universe is expanding. It's growing. It, it wants to know more. It is human nature to quest. Since primitive time, we've migrated. We've migrated to to search for better food sources and such. And in that process, it made us learn to to learn because we were exposed to new things and we had to survive. And we seen new things, which created new ideas. It is in our nature to grow. It is in the nature of the universe to experience. Happiness is gratification from from acknowledging or experiencing things. Ask everything that makes you happy. Nine times out of ten, it comes from experiencing something new or something different. We go to the movies not to watch the same movie twice. We go to the movie to watch a new movie to, to gain some new insight, some new stimulation. We go to the state parks to get away from, from our standard stimulation to find some new st stimulation that's refreshing or renewing. But in us is this, this internal quest to expand oneself, to improve oneself. Happiness is gratification hopefully in a positive way, rather than in a destructive or controlling way. Does that help? Does that make sense for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Eric? This concludes The Optimist, Part 1 of 1. Higher Balance offers a wide variety of metaphysical programs. For more details, visit us at www.higherbalance.com or reach us at 1-800-935-4007. Higher Balance presents Navigation of Children, Part 1 of 1. Um. Since we were on the, um, there are some um, stars participants ask how should they raise their kids? How um, should they raise their kids? Yeah, they want they want they want them to start meditate and and they wanted to you know how are they going to make them white cells per se because they have the notion that they want the kids to be white cells you know. <laughs> you know, I I think that the best way to to make your children more spiritual is to make them more aware. 
of sociological programming. And to, to see that, that you know, TV is a sociological programmer and to understand that, that monkey see, monkey do. And the books that you choose to show them are about leadership and, and following and mimicking and going to the beat of your own drum and to, to, to recognize patterns, patterns that are imposed on us. You know, the policeman's always good, the, the this and that is this way or that way. That as human beings, we, we're, our brains are designed to organize in a tagging method. And I think that it's the hardest thing to do because it's, it's very hard to do even for us because we're, we're, we're so inundated with this way of thinking. It's hard to think outside of the box. Um, I would probably give them puzzles that are, are like box puzzles, wood ones, three-dimensional ones, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I would, would explain you know, life to them in, in the aspect of uh, you know, plant life, tree life, stuff like that. I would be honest with them about biological life. And, you know, not tell them about storks or this and that. I would, would let them understand things probably earlier on. Because one of the biggest frustrations, I think, for a white cell is that during our youth, we're very frustrated. And I think intelligent people are frustrated because we, we have an opinion, we have something to say. And, and elders have a, a sense of you're a kid, you don't know anything. And they, they kind of, like, quell you down. And a lot of times when you do have questions you, that maybe are intellectual, I don't think they can understand the intellectualness of your question, and they, they, they almost punish you for asking. So I would say that you, you have to be consistently aware as much as you can. You know, um, Quiet moments, not making quiet moments, but, but sitting with your children looking at a field. Sitting, looking at the stars, sit, pondering, create pondering on the, the vastness of the universe and the, the, the micro-ness of micro-life. Create things to show them that, that, that difference, that you don't want to ask the question, you want them to, to come to you with the question. But there is no real simple answer. Next. That was a great question, I thought. Okay. Um, in, in, in one of the courses, you actually are very thorough in explaining how having the right people around you makes all the difference in the world, but this is really pointed at... Let me stop you on that. You asked me a question earlier, Bart, about what would you teach your kids. You know what I would try to remember to teach my kids? What does it feel like? That's what I, I would teach them. When, when they do something bad to somebody else, what does it feel like? When they steal from somebody, what does it feel like to be having something stolen from you? What does death feel like? What does life feel like? What does that tree feel like? That's how you can make a white cell awaken very young. It's to be conscious of, of those choices and those things and to, to learn to be more aware because I think it makes you a much better person. I think that's the ultimate answer. If, if somebody was to ask me how do I make my child more spiritual, I would say teach them to, to ask themselves to feel inside of themselves to look at something and say, how would that make me feel? How does that feel? In so doing, we don't do damage to something because most people can hurt something, but they don't feel 
for whatever they're hurting. They just feel what it is to gain the control, the power. And instead of what does it feel like to be on the opposite end, and that's what makes us really go, wow, I, I wouldn't want to feel like, why would I want to do that to something else? I think that's what creates spiritual growth. One last thing, I'm sorry. Oh, no, Everything no. that we have in this dimension is externalized. Do you understand? Yeah. Our five senses are all externalized for the most part. That's why spiritual is internalizing something external. To It's it's like, what does it feel like to not be able to feel like being in that person? I can recreate it through my own awareness and understanding of it. Only then can I understand something that my five senses can't necessarily show me. My, my mind, my sixth sense, my consciousness has to, to create that in me to reflect on that thought. I think a lot of times we understand hurt only when we get hurt. It's always funny to watch somebody else get hurt. And then when you get hurt, it's not so funny anymore. Get it? Yeah. I think that, that children see things, but they, don't, they see it and they know it's not good or they know it's bad. But the only reason they know that is because they can relate to it themselves. They've fallen from the bicycle at some point. They've been bullied by somebody. You know what I'm saying? So either they're mimicking it or whatever. So the point is if you can emphasize reflecting, you know, you can you can really turn it into a very powerful tool for, for growth mm-hmm. for children. Does that does that work for everybody? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's try that one more time. With with the the last subject, how would you what kind of experiences would you would you push for in a child? Um, like, what kind of exposure? What to, exposure to what things would you value? I, I would say one of the biggest things is human values. I think racism. Um, I think that you know, if 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 you're white, you there is a certain level of of, of arrogance, of superiorness. And I, I think that you need to reflect what if you were black? What, what, how would you feel? What would you think? And, and, and how, how would you cope with feeling that from other people without it being said? I mean, these are things that aren't said, but I think every black person can feel it. Okay? I think that in, in, in a society, it's projected to them in magazines. It's like being gay or, or transvestite or... Or so I think that they need to to at first not take on at early age the silent uh, racist programming that in order to truly be spiritually grow you have to you have to have this part in your heart that doesn't see the physical color of a person or the the the, the nature of their exterior personality that they project as being the core of who they are. That that immediately sets a standard for your consciousness. That that you limit your your capacity to to grow by immediately setting standards on the people around you. You know, I, I often say that you know it's it's no wonder why aliens will never come to visit us. I mean, you know, there's so many different species that that probably intermate and look different colors. We we just barely getting over race. I mean, if you go to India, they still have segregation for, for different clans. And here we can't even accept gay people or transvestites, and we've got the white supremacists, and we've got, we've got so many hatefulness for our own species instead of, instead of compassion and understanding for different complexities in our own nature, how can we ever expect something far beyond us? 
in, in, in their biological environments and how their societies are, are structured. So I think the first thing is, is that I would teach them if you were, you know, uh, this girl or this boy, can you imagine what it would be like to, to see the world from their eyes? This creates an immense amount of perspective, an immense amount of perspective and compassion immediately. And to realize that, that there isn't one set of bad people, you know, for a race, that, that no race is perfect, that they all have their, their hate and their spite. And it is human beings that we first must learn to get along with as our brothers and sisters. So this is, this is teach your kids to communicate and to get along and to be compassionate and to be kind is one of the first qualities I would want to, to teach is their, their social skills and their social understanding. After I've kind of started that, the other things that I would do is, is probably artistically have them look greater at their ability to use their five senses. Instead of just letting them exist and discover things on their own, I would want to introduce them to, to art and to sound and to, to different things, to expose them and explain, which is even more important, why this one instrument is different than that instrument. I would want them to hear a violin playing live in front of them at a young age. I would want them to feel the sound reverberating off their skin and how it makes them feel emotionally. I would want to introduce textures that they, they may not take the time to think about. I mean, they may have textures in nature, but, you know, you, a child will always remember the moment they, they pick up a feather and they can feel the feather. You don't remember when you do it, but you, can, you remember the, the experience of it. Well, how much better would it be if you could accelerate or introduce those things at even an earlier age than what you would have came upon them naturally? Do you, do you follow what I'm trying to say? So, I would want to expose them to, to more things or talk about those things. Um, and I would, I would want to, to probably, exp I think the most powerful tool in our society is words. Words. Communication. Because communication is, is critically important. Even with me teaching right now, it, it comes from my communication ability. It comes from the, the fact of words and the choice of words I use and the tonature that I use. So immediately I would want my child to start reading aloud. As I always say to you guys, you'd be better speakers, read aloud. I would want to introduce books where they, they talk about what they're reading and, and could articulate the stories. I would want to, to, to encourage those kind of things early on. The problem is, is that people are lazy. People are lazy and people don't have the time and maybe not even that they're lazy. It's just society and work and having to pay the bills and the demands of a bigger home and nicer things and your mate wants this and they want that. That, that it's really hard to introduce these things. And you know, you can say, well, computers now are really educating kids quite a bit. But you know, I, I always call it surface knowledge. And surface knowledge is things that are told to you that aren't necessarily experienced. And there is no greater thing than to experience, hence the reason why I teach from higher balance and say if you do these things you're trying to experience in the end, it's not just the knowledge you want. You need to actually apply it and, and gain from it. You need to, to take it three-dimensionally to really fully 
absorb and digest that data. So I think computer knowledge is good, but it's all surface knowledge. I think that you need to, to spend time in explaining certain things and, and, and exposing them to certain things, yeah. And I could go on and on and on and on. I mean, I know, I mean, where does one end with that, you know? I would want to teach my kid about floating. And, you know, that may sound silly, but I would say to them, float like a log, you know, and they would float like a log, and they see themselves as a log floating in the water. And then that's it. You, you say, okay, now start swimming. Well, when you float like the log, imagine yourself like you're, you, you can fly. Imagine yourself weightless. Imagine that you had no body and you, you were just floating in the air and that, that there's no you and that you're part of everything. That might trip out a kid, but 10 to 1 it may not. But that's going to open up much higher levels, okay, of asking deeper questions at a younger age. Do you, do you understand? I mean, how I think would be all about just exposing them to, to more of what they would be exposed to in life. You know, is, is how could I be creative in, in, in doing that? Um, when I was young, I, I naturally was drawn to that, those kind of things. And I think that most people, that doesn't necessarily occur to you. And I would spend hours in the swimming pool, and I would float, float, float. And, and it wasn't because I wanted to float like a log. It's just that I just so enjoyed not feeling my body. And my mind would, would move outside of itself. I think those are the things you need to encourage. To me, I often say, you know, you guys want to learn about energy. And for me, energy is a very real, uh, it, it has texture, it has form, but your hand can't necessarily feel it, but it does feel it if you understand it. And I, I, I believe that I learned how to, to move and work with energy at a young age from being in the damn pool, from doing the, the phoenix splash, from, from making water currents. And I would move my hands and I would watch how it ripples the water and I, I could begin to feel something inside of me and I would pretend to project the wave and I could see the ripple moving all the way, getting bigger and bigger and longer and longer and longer until eventually I could do it outside of the water and in the dark I could see the ripple from my energy and I would pretend I was in the pool and I could ripple the darkness and, and, and it was energy. Now, I mean, of course, I didn't understand it fully, but, but this is how I taught myself as, as a more enlightened person. It, it just came to me intuitively. The same way a certain amount of knowledge comes to people to pick up a feather or to think of different concepts in the youth, I just was able to push it to higher levels unconsciously but consciously. So those are the things I would want to introduce to, 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 to children. Blah, 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 blah. That's so valuable. Wow. <laughs> that was really valuable. Well, you know, it's, 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 I'll tell you another thing that, that I did. When, when I was growing up, I had to be about eight years old, nine. I think everybody did this. I mean, I don't know, but I, would, I remember there was a rainy day, and it was on the glass, and it was gray out, and I was just staring at the window all bored, and I put my eye right up to the glass, and I stared, and I stared, and I seen a raindrop, and I looked at that raindrop, and I stared at it, and I swear to God, I zoomed into it, and I could see the microlife. I swear that it was like a microscope, and I could see the, the living organisms in the, in the water. Either it was in my eye, the organisms, or it was in the water droplet. And I spent, I can't tell you how long, just looking at all the little organisms in the water. Now, has anybody done that? Really? I remember zooming in on things when I was a kid. 
I don't know if I could explain it like that, but I remember being well, fascinated Well, I heard by once in a science journal or somewhere, I read that, that that's absolutely feasible. That, that, that I can do that. And that, that people have done. But I remember doing that. Um, oh, I've, I did countless things like that. All the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. And those are the things that made me understand. They were, were self-teaching, self-revealing in themselves. I tell people all the time, you know, go work in a pool. Does anybody listen to me? No. You know why? Uh, you either need me to, to push it all the time. Okay. Maybe when we're in Hawaii, maybe we should see if I can do some pool work. But anyway, the, the other thing is, is that I think a child who has nothing better to do with their time can so engross themselves into to certain things that, that there, there is a more bountiful gain to the knowledge or to the experience. You know, so it's it's as we grow older, we don't we don't have. It's not so much the patience, but I think the endurance to to do something so long that you refine and you perfect yourself. I remember playing asteroid, and I remember having a lot of time to kill one one particular time. I we lived in a new place, and my brother wasn't in the house by myself. But I remember I played asteroid so many times that I could virtually almost not. I mean, literally, it would. I could play loop. Loop, loop, it would just reset itself eventually. I don't know if you guys know that, but you could play to a certain point that it just started all over again. And I could, I could just go on and on and on and on that I had learned all the programs and possibilities, and I, I just knew where it was going to be, when it was going to be, and I could just whatever. And I remember there was this kid, Vic, who was over at my friend's Matt's house, and he he was all like, ah, oh, kick anybody's ass at asteroid, and da 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 da. And I was like, well, I'll, I could beat you, and we bet like. Five dollars, or I don't remember what it was, and they were shocked that I could just go on and on and on and on and on and on, you know. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just—it's just all patterns, you know. You just once you learn enough of those patterns, I didn't count the patterns. I didn't have a number for the patterns, but I knew precisely if it was moving this way and rotating this way, I knew it'd break off, and I knew which way the game would have them go, and I knew how many which way, and I could virtually do like just create, just go on and on and on, and that's what. Burn me out on video games after because all I can see is patterns in video games now. No matter how complex they've become, it's simply the same game dressed up on another level of 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 graphics. Graphics, you know, it's all zeros and ones. It's 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 just the same battle over and over again. They're just making it harder and weakening you. Once you build up strength and the other ones are weaker, then they just reamp them up or lower you back down, change their uniform, and it's the same thing. So these are things that I learned very early on, and maybe it's because of the experience I had out in that little pond out in the small town when I, I had my way. But whatever you know, you, you want to put to it, I mean, I remember dust, watching dust in the air, and, and, and contemplating it, and, you know, and, and just, just really reflecting and thinking about it. Um, you told me before about you taking your friends astral traveling, and when yeah. you were talking about floating just now and flying and, and yeah. having it... Was there a kind of a correlation with that? It was exactly the same time. It was exactly the same time. It was when I lived in, in well, I don't know if I want to stand tape, but uh, it was a, the apartment complex had a big swimming pool for, for the complex, and these were friends that I had, and, and that was all the, the same same timing, yeah. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of go more into that floating thing mm-hmm. for parents to be able to kind of encourage that with their children. And that type of idea. And what I, I think water should be encouraged in all people who want their kids to be spiritual. I think there's a huge connection. 
Um, I remember my grandmother would tell me there was, and I remember it, and we had an above-ground swimming pool, and I had to be in three or four. I was fearless of water. I mean, I told you about the time that I should have drowned even when we, when we lived there, but this is a different story. And I, I couldn't, I swear I had to been about four years old, but I remember being in this above-ground pool, and the whole family was in there. I remember my grandmother had the, the bathing suit with the little skirt thing kind of on it. It was flowery, you know, the old-school stuff. And everybody was in the pool, but I, I remember being on the bottom, walking around, looking at everybody's legs, and, and, and seeing this, like, reverse reality, but I was in the water. But it seemed so surreal to me, you know, rather than, you know, you're that small, you see people walking around in, in that outside in the air like that, but it seemed so unusual, and I, I just remember being really amused, and I think somebody eventually pulled me, pulled me out of the water back up. But I remember being under, not thinking about air or breathing or any. But I, I always loved the water. I loved the the detachment from my physical body. It felt more natural than than it did when when it felt weighted. And that that was a whole spiritual thing. Now, does that mean you should run out and get a a a, uh, a deprivation tank? No. I'm not a. I have mixed feelings of deprivation tanks, and I'm not here to, to to say one way or the other. I'm saying there's no substitute for a good swimming pool when it comes to doing certain exercises that I teach. You know, and the reason why swimming pool is so good is because it, it gives you a reaction that you can observe, and that's 50%. You know, here, but it's still transparent. It's still kind of representation of energy so that you can understand or create a concept for how it works. Because in your head, in order to do something, you have to you have to be able to understand how it works. It's just how we are. So even if it doesn't work exactly that way, it's 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 enough in your brain to give it a concept that somehow it doesn't it, it, it'll make it work. And that's what you need to do. You need to get past that governor or that barrier in your head that's struggling to, to create what it is when, when Eric says he's pushing energy or when he's, he's doing this or that. In my mind, I see, you know, I, I, I feel it. I, I, I'm sure if it's going to happen, as sure as I know if I hit the water, it's going to make ripples a certain direction. You know, I know that if I move it in one way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fan out like a, like a, a, from smaller to wider, but in a direction. It's going to, like, like this, it's not going to make a bull, big full circle. It's going to make a wave in a certain direction that's only going to get so many feet apart. I know that if I do a full body one, it's going to do a certain thing. I know that if I implode it and it pops back up and it creates energy. You know, I, I, I understood that from that repetition in the water and watching it. So I, I know how, how it, it works. And my hands move, ironically, uh, a lot of times when I'm thinking about energy, the same way I would move water. Do you understand? When I move the energy around my body, it's because I, I would move it in the pool and I would, I would move water towards me and I could feel it rush over the skin and that taught me how to like, move the energy inside my body. So there was a, a, a very potent educational cycle and I think when most people swim, they just swim. They just they enjoy it, but not me. I mean, I feel and I work with the texture of the water and the pressure, and it's so minute, but yet it tunes you because you get so used to these minute textures. Yeah, it's what it, it's what taught me. I think a lot of how to to deal with with weather. I mean, I think a lot of times when I deal with air and wind, it's the same thing. I can feel it like a, a body that I relate to like water and I work with it in the same way. I understand it and I can pull and move it. But there, there's you got to understand when you move a body of water, this is the cool part. 
you can move a body of water and you can project it across the pool. So I learned to project energy great distances because I, I learned that, that it perpetuates. There's not a limit. The only reason it was a limit because it hits the pool wall. Well, if you're moving something bigger than that, skywise or energy weight, there's not a limit. You, you project, it's just how much of a burst or how much energy you put into it. Does that make sense for everybody? Maybe yeah. two out there? Or? I've got a question. Um, <clears throat> I think that in, in kids, when they reach a certain age, the governor starts to, to kick in and the brain starts to develop really you know, conventional tools. Is there anything that you would recommend to maybe um, to prolong that open-mindedness, that, uh, you know, yeah, I can see energy kind of attitude? Well, you know, I, I, I think it, it's all about environment, and I think if you start them off right, that's the main thing. I, I think it starts from about, you know, z from zero, meaning in the womb, you know, your feeling, your vibe, your consciousness, what you're projecting in there, you know. Uh, right up to probably about five to seven years old, I think, are the most critical points, and then thereafter you're going to see the wonderment of, of, of what that perpetual motion is. And again, I'm thinking about that water movement. It's where is it going? What's, how big is it going to get? How ripple? What, what, what's it going to touch? Um, I, I think that the, the most that you can do then is that the brain is going to do exactly what you're saying. It's going to put in certain functions in the teenage years and, and all this other stuff that are necessities for, for integrating into to our environment, our world. But you should just continue to be supportive of the creativeness and, and hopefully it's going to stay in a positive direction rather than what we may interpret as a darker direction. What about promoting experiences of a metaphysical nature? When would you start to kind of... I think you've got to be really careful. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, there's a bit of resentment that I have about being exposed to entities and spirits so young although I, I don't think of it as a bad thing in the sense that it, it turned out bad for me, but I think I was a unique case. Uh, I think it was very horrifying for me. And I, I think that's where my, my father made a critical mistake and he should have been a little bit more careful as to what he exposed me to and he should have spent more time explaining in personal training with me, which he didn't do. It, it was usually about him entertaining his friends and, and, and getting me to do things to appease his own interest rather than, than helping me to understand what I was doing. And so therefore I was, I was left to, to really try to interpret and understand a lot of things on my own. And there was a lot of entities and things that I could see that were never explained to me. But the truth of the matter is that he's just, it was simply just an ability far beyond him. It, he couldn't understand those things. You know, um, he—I don't think he fully understood even what he was dabbling with or what my true capabilities were. They're, they're certainly far beyond what, what, who, and what he is. So I, I don't necessarily blame him in that aspect. I just wish he—he he would have been a little bit more careful as to you know the Ouija board exposure, the table wrapping, the seances, the all that kind of stuff. Even though I can say it was very interesting to be around it, and I. I fortunately was a lot more intelligent and could, could see it in different ways, there were still points that were very frightening to me and, and opened me in, in, in a medium level to, to sensing and feeling things that, that I wasn't really fully prepared to, to, to understand. So I would probably try to make m my children understand that, that really entities don't really 
pose a threat that, that you know, they're like dogs. <laughs> that you just don't go out and pet them, but they they'll generally won't bother you if you don't bother them. And the biggest thing I learned is that entities are, that are grumpy are a lot like dogs. Their, their bark is a lot worse than their bite. They make a lot of noise and put on a big show, but they're, they're not really going to do something because they just don't have the energy to do it. You understand what I'm saying? And that most entities, the reason why they seem fearful is to simply explain you know, the whole concept about that they're trying to talk to you because they can't talk to anybody else in the desperation. It, it would be, I, I mean, it sounds complex, but in the, in the same token, you know, uh, I think other things in life can be just as complex. You just got to spend the time. And I would want them to feel safe and secure. And that would be the most important thing to me, is that they, they have a sense of exploration and a safe zone that they could come to that to know that, that, that it's safe. It's no different than when you send your child outside when they're toddlers, they don't necessarily go running off. Although I did when I was a kid, evidently. I took off with my brother and the dog, and we went down the railroad tracks and who knows where. And then we came back, and my mother was like, where did you guys get these things? And we walked all the way to the store, which was like two miles away, and I had been like probably, again, four years old or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, there's a sense of safety as a child. You wander in your backyard. You know, you know the world is huge. It's, it's, it's filled with who knows what's out there. You know, who knows what's out in the woods. On the same token, it's a very tough answer because I also say that fear builds up sensory. And that I think that I was constantly in fear. And I think that's what built this mega system of, of sensory for me. I mean, I was constantly worried what was in the woods, what was going to give me. But it wasn't because it, because it was something in the woods. I was feeling all these entities, you know. And, um, but I, I think that if I had a, a better mentor who, who, who directed me better and could give me better answers, I would have been a, a lot more calmer of, of, of an experience of awakening to, to who, where I am now. You know, it's, it's hard to say the dice roll and, and you get what you get. And the most I could say is be, be patient be compassionate and and loving to you, to your child in, in these things, and I think they'll do very well. I don't think there's there's any simple answer like anything else. Is that it? Are we done with these questions yet? This concludes navigation of children, part one of one. A lot of people ask us, where is the best place to start with our courses and material? The fundamental backbone of everything in our catalog is the Foundation Meditation System. This is a unique meditation technique geared to the purpose of absorbing prana, stimulating key regions of the body that enhance sensory development, and allow one to tap into a source of unbridled spiritual energy. Foundation Meditation can be learned in our book, Meditation Within Eternity, or you can visit our website, foundationmeditation.com, to acquire the audio course. Again, that's foundationmeditation.com. Each of Eric's books comes with a secure readers-only section online that contains a treasure trove of complimentary free training material. When you add up all the free training you get with each book, you have a combined total value of over $1,000 in additional content. This includes classes, guided meditation exercises, and more. Digital and physical copies are available 
at higherbalancebooks.com. Order the set on discount now, and we'll also send you a free Guru deck in the mail for physical orders. Again, that's higherbalancebooks.com. Go there now, order your set, and join the growing movement of spiritual adepts. Follow us on Instagram at Higher Balance Institute, all one word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a positive review to help others like yourself find this knowledge. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit our online store at higherbalance.com. Meditation. It's more than just relaxation. There are different kinds of meditation, just like there are different tools to do a job. Finding the right kind of meditation will decide whether you awaken or whether you just simply drift. Energy. More than just a thought, but of movement that you can literally feel through your body. Visions. More than a faded idea within your consciousness, but rather a vivid reality so clear it'll make you question reality itself. Meditation, if used properly, will show you how to move the currents of your mind into a better life, a more prosperous life, consciousness expanding, memory improvement, inner balance, higher balance. Most of all, discover who and what you are and what you can do. Join us at Higher Balance Institute. We'll help change your world. Thank you for listening to Rebel Guru Radio. 